Please turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in the second chapter today. 1 Peter 2, we're going to start at verse 1 in just a few minutes. Go through verse 10. So, 1 Peter chapter 2. On a hot summer day when I was about 12, I walked into my small hometown library and asked for a good book to read. I was bored, which is a wonderful part of childhood. And I wanted just to be absorbed in a good story. The librarian did not hesitate. She led me to the fiction section and picked out To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I'd never heard of it, but soon it became my favorite book. Set in the Deep South in the early 1930s, its main character is Jean Louise Finch, called Scout, along with her brother and father. It's a compelling story about racism, class, courage, coming of age, and hard truths about living in America. Because their father is busy preparing for a trial, their aunt comes to live with them. She is the opposite of her brother, their father, in many ways. She is quite proper and traditional. She's always trying to instill in the children how important it is for them to live up to their family heritage. They should be proud of the name Finch as they come from a long line of great people. In one telling paragraph, Scout talks about her life in her tired little town of Maycomb, Indiana. Here's what she says. The present generation of people who had lived side by side for years and years were utterly predictable to one another. They took for granted attitudes, character shadings, even gestures, as having been repeated in each generation and refined by time. Thus the dicta, no Crawford minds his own business, or... Every third Meriwether is morbid. Or, the truth is not in the Delafields. Or, all the Bufords walk like that. We're simply guides to daily living. Now, in Harper Lee's time in Milieu, it would have been common for someone to ask, Who are your people? This was a way of identifying family, lineage, or social status. Often it could be interpreted as a way of uh, delineating those who did not belong. So those in the upper echelon could know who to snub and who to include. Sometimes it was asked simply so connection could be found. Many didn't move from one place, so a geographic center was a way of finding commonality through people known to one another. When asked the question if one came from a family one was proud of... It would have been a great thing to answer the question. If not, it would have been a source of shame or perhaps humor if you were from Scout's Town. Who are your people? Today, we might ask, who are your peeps? Now, answering this question now has different nuances. We might think of friends as our people or those who follow the same sports team or those who share the same love of something. When we say, yes, those are my people, we have an epiphany about something. We might be talking about our cultural heritage or the place where we were born. It's a point of belonging for us that we have with the larger world around us. And these groups have distinguishing characteristics about them that make them unique in character or behavior. 
You see, the linchpin of our reading today comes from the last verse in 1 Peter 2, where it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The last time we studied Peter, he was struggling to allow Gentiles in the church. Now he is writing a circular letter to churches throughout Asia Minor to a mostly Gentile audience. Through many allusions and quotations from the Hebrew scripture, he weaves the reader through a series of thoughts that culminate in the verse I just referenced. He is speaking to a group who are displaced most probably persecuted and suffering, but without the tradition of the Jewish faith, the Jewish family, to give them a sense of connection. This is written after the great fire that destroyed much of Rome, for which Emperor Nero blamed the Christians. So now it's illegal in Rome to be a believer in Christ. Nero said it was those people, those Christians set the fire. So this letter is being distributed around to different churches to encourage the believers in their faith. So here is what Peter tells them in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, evil, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray. Father, your word is living. You are living and among us. And so, Father, we invite you to speak words of life over us. Amen. Peter is telling them that they belong to the people of God. They do not live there out on their own. They are not enduring suffering for no reason. They are part of God's family. And like each family system, there are hallmarks of what that looks like. 
things they do, how they operate, who they are. They are, as Scout says, guides to daily living by which Christians are known, part of what it means to be the church. There's a lot going on here that we could talk about, but I want to focus our attention on three ideas of what the people of God look like. So through Christ, we become God's people, a people who grow into their salvation, which is discipleship, a people who offer spiritual sacrifice to God, which is worship, and a people who, uh, who proclaim mighty acts of God, which is outreach. Sorry. So first, the people of God grow into their salvation. The lectionary does not include a verse one, but it fits here. So I added it. Peter tells them to rid themselves of bad attributes, which are not who we are. Rid yourself literally means stripping away, taking off the old clothes, getting rid of the dirty rags, the former way of life. God's people have to be free individually and corporately of the things that Peter lists here. All of them are matters of the heart, evil, Guile, guile means hypocrisy, being something that you're not. Envy, wishing that you had something else. Slander, speaking ill of someone who isn't there to defend themselves. God's people, if they are to grow, must not partake of that behavior. Negative attitudes or harmful talk. We're not meant to stay the way we are. We're meant to grow and be transformed in the very image of God. Peter tells the church instead, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Lord. In other scriptures, we understand that milk is God's word. And longing here is the same language from the Psalms as the heart longs for flowing streams. So my heart longs for you, O God. Longing is a craving more of God's truth. Think about one of those ravenous newborns that we prayed for today. Rooting around, crying out, desiring nourishment. This is a picture that Peter is giving them of children of God who need to be fed by him. A baby is made for milk. We are made for God's word to feed us. Both necessary for survival. And then Peter says something interesting. He says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? This almost sounds a little bit like a commercial. Try Jesus. You'll love him. But that's part of the growing into him, isn't it? If you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will continue to come to him, to drink of him to partake of his word. That's how we grow into our salvation. Have you ever been talking to someone and they say, oh, I want to tell you something that the Lord has been teaching me. And they tell you something or they tell you something they learned. And as you listen, you nod and you say, yeah, that is so good. That's what he's talking about. That's what we long for. The truth of God that feeds our souls and help us to mature. So how are you growing in your salvation? We're never at a point where we stop growing. 
Do you have a plan for your inner life with the Lord? How is it that you daily receive from him? What does discipleship look like in your life? It's such a special time with a baby and a parent when it's time to feed them. Is it not the same with us and God? Spending time with us is what he longs for. We are his people. We are his children. He has made us this way. We have a desire to be with him and he with us. And we don't want our growth to be stunted because we're not getting enough nutrition. When a church yearns to be fed by the hand of Christ, it will thrive and it will be healthy. And it will be free of those things that Peter talks about in verse 1. As we grow into maturity together, the people of God grow into him. Secondly, the people of God offer spiritual sacrifice to him. Peter now changes his metaphor. He starts talking about stones. Jesus is the living stone, a reference that he is the resurrected one. There's a richness of thought here. Peter is reminding the readers that stones that are inanimate objects can be a metaphor for God because he is alive. And it reminded me of that scene in Frozen where some of the characters come across a field of boulders and then all of a sudden they're not really boulders. They start rolling and they come alive because they're actually rock trolls. That was just the image that came to mind when we were talking about living stones. It's interesting to think also about how Jesus called Peter the rock. Changed his very name. You are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And Peter now is framing Jesus as the stone that orients the whole building. Jesus is the cornerstone, he says. He's the capstone. He's the living stone on which the whole church is built out from, built on top of. And Peter says, God's people are also living stones, connected together, connected to him, living, made of the same substance as Christ, being built into a spiritual house. So what does it mean as God's people to offer spiritual sacrifice? In the message, Eugene Peterson says it means offering Christ-approved lives up to God. An offering to God of all that we are, not just money, not just pieces of who we are, but all of us live to give God glory. Whether we're at home watching TV or we're out watering and meet our neighbors or we're spending time with our family, worship is something we do every day. We're always his people. He lives in us and together we comprise his dwelling place. But there's another idea here worth pursuing Peter says Jesus is the living stone who is precious to God even though he was rejected. Now that's a very profound and sad truth when we think about it. How can we be built up into God's people if we reject the one who came to make that a reality? You see, when Jesus came to live, people examined him and turned him over and looked at him from all sides and then said, uh, yeah, no, that's not the Messiah. They threw him on a pile with the rest of rejected stones, ideas perhaps from God himself. 
They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want to be his people. And now Peter says they stumble around the cornerstone, the living stone. They trip over him in their disobedience. But Peter's also telling his audience that they are precious to God. You are precious to God, even though you may be rejected in this life, in various ways, from various people. See, there's a true belonging that Peter is talking about here as being part of God's people. Those who are once far away, those who are virtual orphans in life with no connection to anything. The gospel is for everyone, and Peter is telling those who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor that they are not discarded by God. It doesn't matter how the culture rejects them, how people may throw them aside. They are part of a church that is now his people. They have brothers and sisters who are there for them. And even though when we look at the church, even though as the church we might disagree with one another, it is not possible for us to reject one another because all of us belong to God even if we disagree You see, the culture might reject them, is what Peter says. People might throw them aside, but they're part of God's people. Jesus was a stone and he was tossed aside, not chosen as the one who could help bring salvation. But honestly, he was chosen by God and he is precious. So he could come and make things right and he understands when we are rejected. Everyone is precious to him. But being rejected is rough. Everyone wants to be part of something. Everyone wants to be chosen for something important, to belong to a larger whole. But often we have people in our lives who aimlessly wander around, wondering where they fit, how they fit. We ourselves have lamented about not being welcomed into a group that we so wanted to be part of. We lament not being chosen for a job or for a relationship. And what part of what Peter is saying here is that being precious to God supersedes being rejected by humans, no matter who they are or where they are. In other words, Peter is saying, don't worry about the culture that is rejecting you because they aren't your people. Those aren't your people, Peter says. All of us want to be validated for being fabulous humans. But really at the core of who we are, The living stone, Jesus, validates us and accepts us. And the church then exists that we might accept those who come to him as part of his people. That we offer a home to anyone who wants to come. That is part of our spiritual act of worship. Lastly, God's people proclaim his mighty acts. Starting in verse 9, Peter uses language that has historically been words to describe Israel. Those of us who are not Jewish, who are grafted into the family, continue the tradition of being God's people. These words describe being part of a privileged set. The people of God are a chosen race, says Peter. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. And in our context today, these can be difficult things for us to understand. I imagine not many of us understand what it means to be part of a royal priesthood. 
When we think about royalty, we might think about kings and queens that we see on TV from around the world. That's not a concept that many of us even understand because it is a select few who are royal. When we think about the priesthood, we know that this is an elite set from the, group, from the tribe of Levi, whose job it was to speak and mediate for God. The cross of Jesus has made it, Peter says, so that all of us are now part of the royal priesthood. Now that's radical thinking, then and now. It's a privilege offered to those who believe. Peter is reminding them what Jesus has done for them. And now they are actually part of the highest strata of any society earth could create. Because God's people are a royal priesthood. An advantaged class. Part of being in his family to help bridge the gap between humanity and the Lord. This is not something that we are born into. It's something we're born again into. Peter says those who are chosen by God are meant to proclaim his mighty acts. What do you proclaim in your life? What do you declare to the world to be true who has made you part of his royal family? There's a lot of proclaiming now that's actually bragging about people's accomplishments. There's proclaiming, maybe even complaining about situations. There's a lot of proclaiming, which is maybe ideating about how things would be better if anyone would listen to us. Peter says we are to proclaim the one who brought us out of darkness into light. We proclaim his power and his love and his provision. We who have received mercy have now become his people. And when we receive mercy, it means that we tell who gave us that mercy. But that's difficult to do in a hostile land, hostile to Jesus, to what he's done. But part of what it means to be his people means that we proclaim his truth. So what do you proclaim? Peter says, proclaim the one who saves you. So who are your people? In this life, we belong to lots of different circles. But wherever you come from, when you believe in Christ for your life, you are now his people. Whatever your family, background, your race, your distinction, your education, your vocation, your wealth, your gender. When you become a Christian, his people are now your people. I want to end with a story about my sister. Previously, I've shared with you that no matter where she goes, she is a walking testimony for Jesus and she will tell everybody her story and about what how what the Lord has done for her. But she also has this curious knack for finding out wherever she goes where the Christians are. And at least once a week she will call and she will tell me, "You're not going to believe it, but I met a believer in the line of Target." Or there was a Christian who was swimming next to me and we started talking this week. I'm not kidding you. It was the TV repairman (laughs) who came to the house and they're talking. And all of a sudden she'll be like, are you a Christian? I'm one too. High five brother. We're going to be in eternity together. And when I'm with her and she does this, I'm like this. (laughs) The pastor, right? Because I'm like, I just can't take this. And you know what? People love it. They hug her. 
they go, yeah, I love Jesus too. And then they'll talk about him and then they'll go on. And she's like, I might not ever see you again this side of heaven, but I'm going to see you there. And we're going to remember we had this moment. You see, she finds her people wherever she goes because they are people who belong to the Lord and thus they belong to her. So who are your people? May they be people of God. Let's pray.